is an Odyssey original. This is Coronavirus Daily. I'm Charles Felton. And I'm Mike Simpson from the KNX Odyssey Studios in Los Angeles. A hotspot for the pandemic now in the U.S. is Florida. They're dealing with the second summer of COVID surge. Hospitals being taxed again and fights over mask mandates in schools. We'll hear from two doctors in Florida, get their perspective. The U.S. military now has a vaccine mandate. CDC has a new eviction moratorium, but do people know how to take advantage of it? Let's start with Florida. Dr. Sean Kniff is a neurologist and emergency medicine physician at Memorial Regional Hospital and Memorial Hospital West in Broward County, Florida. And Dr. Sam Atala is a professor of surgery at the University of Central Florida. Dr. Atala, you're calling for a field hospital? Right. Honestly, it's a plea for help. You know, we are in crisis mode, and that's for all area hospitals in Orlando. We are at a capacity. To give you an idea, the hospital that I just came to from uh, to make rounds, so it basically has two floors. One is for all medicine care, so people with heart disease, liver disease, renal disease, etc., is dedicated entirely for medical care. The other one is for surgery. The medical floor is 100% COVID patients. The ICU is also 100% COVID patients. All of them, or let me say 99% of them are unvaccinated. So we are in a crisis mode in healthcare because we no longer have the capacity to take care of people with other ailments. So I'm a surgeon. I'm specifically a colorectal surgeon. Right now, I'm struggling to be able to operate on patients with cancer. Every case that I operate on has to get approved by administration because quite literally, there are no beds in the inn. Uh, So we really need a way to decompress the problem in Central Florida. Uh, And we need it soon. We need action. Dr. Kniff, uh, over in uh, Broward uh, County, uh, I, Dr. Tala mentions a, a very good point, I think, which is uh, we, we keep talking in terms of the numbers of people in ICUs because of COVID, but the hospitals in your state are so oversaturated with patients that other people with other critical diseases are likely to die, right, because they can't get into surgery. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, I don't want to extrapolate too much into predicting the future. I think if COVID has taught us anything, it's that there are no givens. And um, yeah, but I mean, that would make a, a reasonable assumption for sure. We're seeing a lot of the same things that my colleague over there in Central Florida is seeing. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Broward County is a very populous area. It's where Fort Lauderdale is. And um, we have the same situation that we're approaching the numbers that we had um, close to the peak last year. Um, from a personal experience, I'm seeing a lot more surprise patients, meaning that they'll come in with a pretty pedestrian type of industry uh, injury. I'm a, I'm a neurologist, but let's just say a brain injury uh, from a motor vehicle accident or what have you, and they just coincidentally also happen to be COVID positive. So not only am I seeing a rise in just the COVID illness, which is of course, taking up our ICU beds, 
but I'm also seeing all these surprise patients. Someone comes in with, say, a broken arm, and by coincidence, they happen to be COVID positive. So we're seeing a lot of COVID in the community, uh, regular injuries, and our, our hospital is the same way. We're nearing bed capacity. Our ICUs are filling up once again, and we've put all elective surgeries on hold, uh, to whether they're cancer or not, just because we don't have the capacity to handle um, those patients postoperatively, preoperatively, because every basically every inch of the hospital is being used to treat uh, our current patients. Dr. Ratala, back to you. Um, The level of of concern, frustration, exhaustion, I guess is the word, knowing that so much of this is preventable if people were just vaccinated? Well, so I think, honestly, I'm not one to talk to the media very much. And I'm doing this for one reason, is to almost scream it out to the unvaccinated public adults, obviously, uh, to please get vaccinated. We can change the course of this pandemic if the unvaccinated people understand the importance of that, not only for their own health, but to prevent the spread of COVID to others who may become ill. Let me give you an example. Literally yesterday, somebody told me a story about a 17-year-old who lost her sense of smell, was kind of feeling unwell, but still decided to go to Universal Studios, which is a theme park packed with people, didn't wear a mask, came in the next day, and sure enough, she's COVID positive. So maybe she's going to recover and heal. Uh, However, she probably spread the virus to thousands of other people. And this is a story that can be told over and over again. So Honestly, the end of the pandemic is going to happen when our unvaccinated decide it's very important to do so. Do either, either, I want to interrupt because I'm curious if either one of you guys have uh, uh, some feelings about the position of the governor of your state, because some of this is being fueled by his defiance, as we said at the beginning of the segment, uh, not only about vaccine mandates, but even something as simple as mask mandates. Honestly, I'm too political about it. I mean, I think, and that's the problem, is we should not try to politicize a virus in a pandemic. Please, let's just listen to the CDC. Let's listen to our doctors who are experts in this, who are saying social distance, wear masks, and get vaccinated if you're of age 12 and up. Yeah, I would totally agree with that as well. Um, And that's what we would recommend our leaders are recommending down here is you know, mask up, social distance, and get your vaccine. And I think it's a very wise medical decision, not only for, for yourself, but also for those around you and the American citizens at large. So I would echo those sentiments. Do you have hope and or confidence that this is going to start to level off or get better? Or do you just buckle down because you're in this now and this might be quite a while? Well, that's a very complex issue, and I don't want to be all doom and gloom about things, but coronaviruses and other um, droplet-borne and airborne type of illnesses tend to taper off in the summer. Any of these viruses do, largely because we have higher vitamin D levels across the country, which helps us prevent infection. So these, these are circulating all the time. And it's just that during the winter months when vitamin D levels drop, we start to see more and more of these types of infections. So um, I'm worried now that we're seeing an atypical boom during the summer um, that what does that portend for the coming winter months? So that has something really concerned. And a lot of this medical staff shorting across the country um, and 
places are offering enormous salaries just to get adequate nursing uh, to, to attend to their patients. And I think that's going to fuel in some places, especially large uh, cities, uh, that's going to fuel a shortage of uh, nurses and doctors who can handle uh, the coming crisis. So I think it's going to compound itself in the in the coming months, unfortunately. Dr. Atali, very uh, briefly, can you talk a little bit about children who are uh, also in the hospital because of COVID? We've done a number of stories in the past few days about uh, how many, many patients in hospitals are now young kids. I mean, I, I can't really speak about the numbers of uh, 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 in each of the hospitals, and especially because I'm at, I basically treat adult patients, I don't actually know those numbers. But you're right, it's on the rise. And the problem is, especially in the teenage group, that cohort from let's say 12 to 19, they feel a sense of immunity, aka, you know, they feel, okay, if I got COVID, I'm not really going to get that sick and I'm going to be okay. The real problem is that they need to understand that without higher vaccination rates, the actual overall global pandemic will not end. In other words, we're gonna continue to see high rates of unvaccinated folks in the hospital with severe COVID illnesses. Dr. Samatala, professor of surgery, University of Central Florida. Dr. Sean Kniff, neurologist, emergency medicine, Memorial Regional Hospital and Memorial Hospital West in Broward County. Thanks to you both. The Pentagon is done messing around when it comes to COVID. The military now has a vaccine requirement for everyone in the armed forces. About 70% have at least one shot, but will there be resistance or will the troops follow orders? With us is retired Army Colonel Peter Monsoor, currently a military history professor at Ohio State, was a former executive officer to General David Petraeus in Iraq. So, Colonel, are the troops obligated to get the shots if the FDA hasn't you know, officially approved the vaccines? If the FDA has not yet approved the vaccine, the military can order the shot to be given, provided the president uh, concurs with the order. And then it becomes a lawful general order and it has to be obeyed. And there are plenty of vaccines already when you sign up that you have to have had, right? It's like 15, 17 of them. So this would just be added on to that list. Absolutely. I've got, you know, you're already required to get chicken pox, hepatitis A, an annual flu shot measles, mumps, rubella, uh, polio, uh, tetanus. And if you're going overseas, you have to get things like anthrax and typhoid and yellow fever. So this is, this is nothing new. The only thing new about this as is, is that COVID has become, the COVID shot has become a political football. And that is what's influencing uh, what will probably be a small number of uh, U.S. service uh, personnel who refuse the shot. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, uh, what, 70 percent uh, have already had at least one dose, so about 30 percent have not as yet. Are, are you surprised, given that, given that uh, list that you just gave of all the vaccines that they are obligated to get while in military service, that there's opposition to this one? I, I'm not, because the military reflects the general population of the United States. And, of course, the general population of the United States has a significant minority who oppose the shot, mostly on political grounds. They, they don't want to be told what to do, uh, or they don't believe what they're being told by the scientists. Uh, but I think in the end, uh, most military personnel will salute and take the shot. And those that don't uh, will uh, probably be punished in some way and then eventually forced out of the service. 
Yeah, you think it might come down to that for for that small number, whatever it is, and you're gonna have to make that choice. Is is this worth it to give all the rest of it up? Well, that that's exactly right, and you won't get an honorable discharge. Uh, you're going to get something other than honorable. So, uh, I, I think in the end, most uh, most military personnel will will obey the order to to get the shot. But there might there will be a few that do not, and I'm sure that uh, the media will pick up on those cases. Since you're a professor of military history, can you think of an analogous situation? The, the, I tried to think of one, and what I came up with is during World War II, malaria was uh, racking our troops in the Southwest Pacific, and so they were ordered to take a drug called Atabrine, which is still around. It's an anti-malarial, and it turns your skin yellow. Um, but the rumor around the, the troops was that it caused um, caused you to become impotent. Uh, impotent. And so they, uh, a lot of troops refused to take it or would throw it away. And it, re- and it resulted in officers actually looking at every troop as he swallowed the, uh, the drug every day. And it was very effective in, in eliminating malaria among U.S. service personnel in the, uh, in the Pacific theater. Peter Monsoor, retired colonel, U.S. Army, served as a former executive officer to General David Petraeus in Iraq and now professor of military history at Ohio State. Coming up after a short break, another ban on evictions, but how many people really know about it? The federal eviction moratorium expired at the end of July, but the Biden administration found a workaround, and the CDC implemented a new one. Are people aware they can get help because of it? KYW's Matt Leon talked to Holly Beck, an attorney in the housing units with Community Legal Services of Philadelphia. She explained how the new moratorium is the same, but also different. It is similar in that it prohibits eviction lockouts for tenants who are facing COVID-related financial hardship meet the eligibility criteria, and sign the declaration form and give it to their landlords. It is different, however, in that previous CDC eviction moratoria applied nationwide. This newest uh, moratoria, which was um, extended this week, only applies in particular counties, those counties that the CDC has determined to have substantial increases in COVID-19 cases. And this, if it remains in place, would be set for the to expire the first week in October. Am I correct? That's correct. Now, one of the things, because there was a few days there from where the last moratorium uh, expired and this new one was put in place. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I thought that the federal government thought it didn't have the authority to put another one in place. But then after a few days, they did. Can you kind of shed some light on to what transpired here? Really, all I know and all I can share is that there was a back and forth between the presidential administration and Congress about who needed to act and who was going to act. And at the end of the day, it was the CDC administration themselves who who issued the order, not Congress. More than that, I, I don't honestly know. So when we are talking about this, I know billions of dollars have been allocated from the federal government to help renters, to help landlords. But in reading and talking to other people, it seems like only a fraction of that money has gotten to where it needs to go. Number one, is that the case? And number two, what seems to be the problem? Why are we not able to get this flowing in all the directions it needs to flow in? 
Well, in, in January, Congress rightly recognized the dire and enormous need for rental assistance nationwide. There are millions and millions of tenants who lost work or, or hours um, or had increased caregiving responsibilities who could not suddenly um, make their rent. And Congress allocated uh, enormous sums to, to states and, and counties across the country for the purpose of making landlords whole and keeping tenants housed during the, the pandemic. The delay has been that each county or state or city, whoever is controlling the, the flow of rental assistance, has had to create an entirely new program for the screening of tenants, the processing of applications, and the disbursement of funds to landlords. And that has taken an enormous amount of time. So in Philadelphia County, for example, money is being sent to landlords every day. Applications are being approved every day, but there are still thousands of applications that are in the review process now. And tenants who are applying every day with their landlords um, to try to catch up on their arrears and prevent an eviction from happening. And so this is why we are asking the courts to, to reinstate their pause on lockouts, um, particularly for tenants who have pending um, applications for emergency rental assistance that could be approved any day. But in the meantime, they are facing the threat of, of imminent eviction lockouts. And you mentioned the this new moratorium only in certain counties that fall under CDC criteria. Do you have in front of you in the Philadelphia area, you know, specifically in Pennsylvania, the counties that would affect? I'm not sure about the rest of the state, but in the Philadelphia area, Philadelphia and, and all of the counties around Philadelphia, um, Bucks, Montgomery, Chester and Delaware counties, all are um, classified as having substantial rises in COVID cases and therefore are covered by the CDC moratorium. And of course, within those counties, in order to be protected from eviction lockouts, tenants need to sign the declaration that we have available on phillytenant.org. phillytenant.org is a resource that we at Community Legal Services and our partners in the Philadelphia Eviction Prevention Project have updated continuously throughout the pandemic with information about rental assistance and, and, and tenants' uh, resources. Tenants can go to phillytenant.org, find the CDC declaration. They have to sign it and they have to give it to their landlord. Um, as long as they can truthfully say that they are, they meet all the eligibility criteria, this protects them from an eviction lockout um, until the expiration of, of the CDC moratorium in October. You talked about, we talked about the federal money not getting where it needs to be, uh, that city states had to create you know, new programs to, to funnel all this money through. It seems to me so much of this federal government aid has been issued, and rightfully so, on the idea that we're in the middle of emergency. We've got to get money out the door. You saw that with the stimulus checks. You saw that with uh, the enhanced unemployment. It, it seems counterproductive and hard to believe that a federal program would be counterproductive. But why would they require new programs to be put in place when almost by definition that's going to slow down? Or are there really not places that were already in place that could have handled this influx and done it uh, on a, in a quicker manner? Some counties already had rental assistance programs and the eligibility requirements for the new COVID-related rental assistance um, just had to be implemented 
Um, other, pro other counties um, did not have rental assistance programs and needed to create them from scratch. Either way, the, the federal rental assistance money comes with some um, strict eligibility screening criteria. And so um, cities and counties and states need to collect um, documentation from tenants and from landlords, and they need to have the staff, the humans, to review the applications, to uh, communicate with the parties and to process the payments to, to the landlords. And all of that takes time and it takes resources. A lot of the attention, and understandably so, over the last year and a half has been on people getting evicted. But I would imagine there's a high number of landlords who have tried their best to act in good faith. And it just becomes untenable financially to to continue to, to let to not have money taken in how much of a concern you know what's the level of alarm not just with people that would eventually be facing eviction but with landlords and you know property owners that just can't make it unless this money gets where it needs to be well we are, we are certainly hearing that from from uh, landlord representatives in, in philadelphia any landlords who are in that position i, I encourage them to go to phlrentassist.org if they're in Philadelphia County. Um, landlords can initiate applications for COVID-19 related uh, rental assistance themselves. And there may be some documents that the tenant needs to sign, but many landlords are initiating applications, assisting their tenants um, who may have um, tech limitations or disabilities. They're assisting their tenants with completing their portions of the applications so that this money can get out the door and, and tenancies can be preserved and landlords can can keep their properties. USC and Kaiser Permanente researchers say people who don't have their asthma under control have a worse battle with COVID than those who control their asthma. They found those with uncontrolled asthma are more likely to end up in the hospital. One idea is that people with asthma have hyperreactive airways, which puts them at a higher risk of getting hit harder by COVID. The researchers say this shows the importance of getting your asthma treated with medications to bring it under control. This is an Odyssey original. You can find us on the Odyssey app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. 